It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series, Love God, Love People, is a deep dive into how to live out the great commandment found in Mark chapter 12. Today's episode, Demonstration of Love. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Today we conclude our series, Love God, Love People. Brian taught from uh, Mark 12, beginning at uh, verse, he began at 29. I'll begin at 30, just reviewing that. But boy, hasn't he done a wonderful job, though. Such a a gifted young man. I, I feel like a proud father. I'm old enough to be his father, I think, but (laughs) Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 30, and it's in this Bible available here on page 814. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then I followed up with loving people which is pointed out in verse 31 of the same chapter. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's our theme verse for the, today and last week as well. Last week, I looked at de- the description of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Today, we will reflect on the demonstration of love. That's our title from The same chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 6 and 7. So I'm just going to pull out a few ways, a few characteristics of loving people. First, by rejecting evil. And this is from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. And that is found on page 925. We'll just break this down. Like I said, not many verses. The first part is love does not rejoice about injustice. That word rejoice is uh, translated differently in other translations of the Bible. The NIV and others says love does not delight in evil. Who has that? Who, if you're holding the Bible, is that your version? Let me see it. A number of people have that. Um, Other translations say love does not delight or celebrate unrighteousness. Now, I I don't know if you do, but I found that puzzling because those words don't seem synonymous at first glance. The reason that those different words are used is because the Greek word, which you don't need to know the Greek, but it's adokia, is the Greek, and it's a legal term that refers to an unjust or unrighteous act, which means it violates the law because God's law controlled um, the writing of the Scripture, obviously, but it's truly God's law, not only His written law, but the law of His nature that controls even our lives today. By extension, violating God's law 
violating his word refers to moral wrong. That's unrighteousness. Unrighteousness means not being right with God. And it can be translated and is translated iniquity, sin, and also evil. 1 John 3, 4, look at this. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. But all sin violates the nature of God as well. So love not rejoicing or delighting in that which is unrighteous, unjust, or evil refers to our relationship with or our attitude toward things that are wrong. Okay, now I know I'm confusing you so far, right? But hang on. Hang on. This is a, boy, this is a deep well. And I, I struggled this week um, trying to wrestle with God. What is this message for us today? Because we love God, we are committed to His standards of rightness, of fairness, of justice, of morality. If we love God, then what offends Him will offend us. What grieves Him will grieve us. So we won't be amused or entertained by things that are wrong. We will reject them. We will avoid them. And so we love others first by rejecting sin in our own lives that could cause other Christians to what? to stumble or be confused about what God's guidelines are. But they also, we, we reject sin in our lives because not only can it, can it confuse another Christian, can it compromise another Christian, but it can lead an unbeliever farther away from God. Now, I want you all to hold on for a minute. Today, I'm going to point out a number of things in our culture. But let me request and encourage you. I, I'm not trying to elicit a verbal response. I'm not trying to create applause in the environment. I don't, I think these subjects are too serious to respond to in that way. I think sometimes when we hear something, we applaud, but it actually keeps us from hearing it deeply in our minds and hearts and developing conviction from it. Everybody in this room won't agree with me, but I urge you, don't just be mad with me Take it in, pray about it, read the Word, talk to God about this, okay? Is everybody tracking with me? But, but I urge you, please don't applaud 
and I'm not mad with you if you do, but please, I'd rather not have an outward physical response. I'd rather you have an emotional, spiritual, inward, deeper response, and it'll take more than the next 30 minutes. Christians must be careful not to engage in practices personally that we know violate the Scripture. I think that's pretty obvious. But I think this also includes, because it says don't delight in it, don't celebrate it, and synonymous is don't be entertained by the disobedience of others, which I think would include television, movies, media, it's, it's always been interesting to me. I, I think my, my dear wife's probably in here now, but she, I'm not a fun person to watch movies with. <laughs> because if I see somebody, I think, huh, well, that woman was in this one. And you know what? That woman is married to an NFL kicker, and he kicked the longest field goal this year. I have all these wonderful insights to offer in the middle of movies. So my wife has a practice. When I start to talk, she stops it. She holds the controller. What would you like to say? I don't know where she is. She's in here, but you ask her. She'll tell you. That's exactly what she does. Because I never, too, I never get far enough into it. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm always thinking, but who are these people? What are they doing? And here's the troubling part. I've heard actors interviewed and say, this is just acting. I'm just practicing my craft. But immorality is immorality. Violating God's Word is violating God's Word, whether you're in front of a camera or posing for a picture or whatever you're doing, because you're one person. There are many things that have a corrupting influence in our culture that are presented as harmless and normal. The portrayal of homosexuality in media. It isn't normal and it isn't harmless. It's the result of a, something that happened developmentally, emotionally, that caused a response to develop inside someone. Transsexuality in drag shows, oh, it's all family, it's all funny. Those things aren't funny, those things are extremely cruel. Sexualizing children in television. Displaying Satanism in music and media. That's kind of a new chapter, isn't it? You didn't see that years ago. Now there are television shows focused on Lucifer. And he appears in movies and in concerts. And the people aren't frightened by that practice because they think Satan's not real, which is what he wants them to think. But Satan 
may elevate those people to positions of popularity, but you know what? When you've got this dying motivation to be known, to be popular, that comes out of a deep wound, a broken identity. Somebody that'll, that'll lose themselves to be a celebrity has a deep emotional wound. And, and Satan hates these people. He will destroy them as readily as he would destroy us. When we become exposed to these things repeatedly, we can become desensitized to evil. And so our participation, even passively, justifies it as acceptable at some level. But as I begin, these things offend God. They should concern us because we love God. Also because we care about our culture and we love people who are being affected by these practices. People's lives are being stolen. I do think we have a role in combating these corrupting influences. I think we start by eliminating them from our homes. You know, when Leanne and I used to watch Netflix and this cuties show where they sexualize these children, we pulled the plug on that. We may need to pull some more plugs. And we say, oh, this is nothing. No, no it is something. It desensitizes us to sin. It lets something into our homes that we don't want in affecting our children, our environment. I think refusing to buy products from businesses that deliberately offend our faith. I think you stop buying it. Well, we can't have any effect. Well, I believe we can have a financial effect, but the real issue doesn't matter. What matters is you're not inviting that. You're not supporting that. People that are attacking your faith, our faith, don't, don't deserve to be supported. But I like this store. Well, you might need to figure out your conviction about stuff. You see what I'm saying? We've just accommodated everything. We've just rationalized everything. And look where we've gotten with all of our rationalization. I didn't say... Take signs and protest. I didn't say, you know, create chaos. I didn't, I didn't say any of those things. What I said is you live with some conviction and say, I won't have this. But see, we're also unloving when we delight in our rejection of immorality. Because that's just self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were. They, they were righteous. They delighted in righteousness, and they made sure everybody knew it. That wasn't like Christ. You don't see justification for us con angrily condemning others. You don't see that. Feeling proud that I'm not practicing a certain sin, that, that's not loving. It's not really caring. Because the people engaged in those practices are, are deeply wounded, confused people. 
do we view them that way? You see, remember I said that loving people was about our attitude toward wrongs. Pride's the foundation of all sin. Do you ever feel compassion for people, including celebrities? You know, it's interesting how many, I, 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 don't, I don't know it thoroughly, but I've just, through the years, I've anecdotally heard a little of this one and a little of that one. This singer, this movie star grew up in this strict religious home because they just delight when they can find someone who was in a Christian home and is now flaunting faith. But, but they're, they're being victimized in one sense because they're, they're being exploited into shameful public displays. I mean, who takes pride in that, you know? Immorality on TV, in movies, in marches. You say, but they made that decision. Well, yeah, they arrived there by their own decisions, but have you ever prayed for them? That's what I'm talking about, loving. This is a part where I struggled, and I thought, I fall short here. But I thought about, remember what Jesus said with these guys who nailed him, physically drove spikes through his wrist, through his feet, and Speared him in the side. What did he say about those guys? I know what I would have said. He said, Father, forgive these people. They do not know what they are doing. Have we ever prayed that over a pride march? They do not know what they are doing. I mean, those things are always driven by anger, aren't they? And by this extreme, it's not a calm, let's reason together. Stephen, what did Stephen say? They stoned him, and the last thing he ever said is, don't hold these sins against them. I thought, I don't have much of that attitude. Delighting when someone's wrongful actions damage their own lives isn't loving. And perhaps especially when it's someone you dislike or, agree, or disagree with. See, now we're talking about the kind of love Jesus displayed. We're not talking about this superficial, romantic, blow me a kiss. We're talking about sacrificial to the point of losing who I am, losing my life. And you know what? Enjoying talking about somebody's weaknesses, sins, downfall... That's not loving either, even if it is their fault. Some of us have kind of justified it if it's their fault. You see the difference? But people aren't helped by spreading news of their sins. Matthew 5, 43. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I, I have missed that verse. Have you? Pray for those who mistreat you, who call you a bigot, who call you narrow-minded, who say you're intolerant. That's 
That's who they're talking about. We love people also by rejoicing in truth. The latter part of verse 6 says, and it contrasts, don't rejoice in injustice or evil, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out. The, the truth here that Paul is referring to is God's truth. It is the Bible. But, but understand that, that not everything, that everything God is is not recorded in the Bible. So it's really sin against God's nature as well. Righteousness, which is being right with God, is, is based on obeying and following God's truth much of which is reflected in the Scripture, of course. And it's God's truth about beliefs and behavior. You know, the Scripture also says, have the mind of Christ. So that probably goes beyond just everything that's written down. That's talking about having your personhood transformed so that you respond in a different way. God alone determines what's right and what's wrong. Not our culture, not ourselves. It, it's not loving to say it doesn't matter what people believe or how they live. What people believe affects their souls, controls their lives, determines their eternal destinies, and influences all that they are in relationship with. So it must be of great concern if we love them. We live in a culture that celebrates and glorifies sin. Do I have to argue? Do we need to argue that point? Justifying and even glamorizing immoral activity that clearly violates the Scripture, deliberately violates the Scripture, defiantly violates the Scripture, and then our culture praised those people who do so. Isaiah 5.20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. So our culture declares that every person sets his own standard of right and wrong, and that what's right is doing what you want. I don't know about you, but if I did everything I want, it's going to run counter to a whole lot of what you want. So our culture says these foolish things that make no sense, but they sound good in a platitude. Compromising the truth by indulging someone's immoral lifestyle is not loving. Because we're misleading that person by our failure to stand firmly. Now, I said the word firmly. I deliberately didn't say the word angrily, harshly. Firmly in the truth can be done, can be done humbly, humbly. By supporting someone's disobedient lifestyle... We're joining in sin. 
I think that may be one thing that delighting in evil means. Which is wrong because the consequences it will have on their lives. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and you have to decide if you truly believe what I'm about to say. You don't need to vote, but I want you to pray about it. I want you to consider it carefully. Sin, according to the Scripture, in my, in my estimation, sin always harms the lives of those that practice it. Do I need to say that again? Sin, whether it's mine or yours or someone else's, sin always harms the lives of those who practice it. Now, if you believe that, that'll become a conviction and it'll control your responses in this world and in this culture. The Bible clearly says the wages of sin is death. And yet we laugh it off and we think it's minimal and who cares, it's this and that, it's normal. Normal doesn't mean wrong. But a lot of times what we're told is normal is nowhere near normal. Affirming the lifestyle of someone who has deliberately rejected God's truth and is separated from Him is not loving. It's cruel. It's cruel. Now, I want you to think about that. And you have to decide if you believe that demonic forces are alive in this world. You have to decide that. You read the Scripture. You pray. You look around. I believe, but you have to decide for yourself, that demonic forces in our culture identify and exploit people who are driven by wounds, abuse, or neglect into sexual addiction or confusion. And I've studied, I'll, and I'll tell you, I mean, this, this message is not easy. If you, if you say, well, he looks uncomfortable, it's because I am uncomfortable. I don't, I don't take joy in saying, things that can hurt. I don't take joy in that. But I'm bound to tell you what I've searched out. I told my wife, I said, boy, I'm having a hard time this week figuring all this out. This week I read that 47% of practicing homosexuals were molested, the word said raped, by adult men as adolescents or children. It's a product of at least neglect or abandonment because it's a thirst for intimacy. It's a thirst to find something that was missing in upbringing. But emotional needs for intimacy cannot be satisfied by physical means. That's why sex can become so addictive because it does distract and it, it provides pleasure, but it never touches that hole that is deep inside the soul that is buried in the mind from the memory. P 
people who are caught up in this transsexual social experiment, I believe, are being manipulated and exploited by counselors, by physicians, by politicians for their purposes. And these children will pay a high price after the attentive adoration ends. You know, you say, well, well, don't people have a right to do what they feel like they ought to do? No. If we want to please God, no. If we want to love God and love others, no. You know, there's, I've learned some painful lessons in these last two years. I wish I could tell you God will meet every single need you have, and he will after a sort. But you know what? I had not had a grandson with very serious health issues before two years ago. And man, we have prayed and fasted and pleaded and had people pray for him, and you are praying for, for But so far, so far, I'm still clinging by faith, but so far, we don't have that all fixed. And people grow up with wounds, and they're, they're pulled in ways that, are, that violate what God would have for them. And they think if they can get their hands around what they're, they're, they're desiring, that it'll, it'll make them whole. But it won't. Only Christ's truth sets us free. But so what happens is, is we go and go and go, and, and you can research it, but you see the number of, of sexual partners that people in these lifestyles are having. There's no satisfaction in it. Loving people includes praying for them, but also trying to help deliver them from what ultimately will be a self-destructive lifestyle. And you may say, I love this person too much to confront this lifestyle. But in reality, you love yourself more because you want this person to like you and they might reject you. You know, I've had many, many conversations with people in different lifestyles, of course, through the years because people approach me wherever I am. It doesn't happen as much now, but years ago, I mean, at concerts, at graduations, at, I mean, and people would say, well, I know, you know, you don't like, one guy said, you don't like people like me. I said, what are people like you? I said, I don't dislike people like you. I don't know what kind of people you are. But when I talk to those people about their life, their family, the dynamic of the family they grew in, if they'll stay with me long enough, I've never had even one say, you're completely wrong about that, about the family dynamic. Not one. But they may not admit it to somebody else. But just in that moment, either with me on the phone, in my office, sometimes in a public place. But, but confronting sin in another person is a loving thing to do humbly, motivated by love only. 
because it may help that person repent. It might help that person return to God. Are you willing? Are you willing to risk rejection by attempting to help someone experience freedom that's in Christ? Now, I'm not telling you that in Christ you have no more wounds, you never have a depression. You ne- no, I'm not, tell- I'm not promising you that. We, we haven't seen a miraculous healing, at least yet. I've lost people that I love this year. We all have. And it's like God leaves us a little bit broken. You understand that? But he, he fills that brokenness, not, not so there's no pain, but I don't think I've ever prayed like I have in the last two years. And he, he holds us and he comforts us in, in our lacking. We also love people by refusing to quit. Verse 7 says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every Circumstance. I like the way the ESV says it. Look at this. Very, very succinct. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. First, love never gives up. That's a Greek word, stego, to, to bear, to put up with, to cover, to support, to protect. Love doesn't give up on people. It continues to support, to cover loved ones. Loved ones, I'm talking about loved ones who have disappointed you, who are pursuing a destructive path, who have rejected you, who told you to leave them alone. You don't give them up. Covering, supporting, protecting means not rejecting the person in rebellion, not exposing their life to ridicule, but continuing to speak of them in the best possible but honest way. Love doesn't indulge a sinful lifestyle. We've said, I've said this over and over today, but it supports the person in the lifestyle. Love doesn't protect sin but it protects the sinner. Love doesn't criticize and gossip because ridicule and shame don't help and certainly don't qualify as covering and protecting. Look at 1 Peter 4 eight. This says it very well. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sin. See, that verse assumes there is sin, doesn't it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love also never loses faith. In other words, it believes all things. Love is not suspicious or doubtful or cynical. It believes in the best outcome. Love exercises faith, believing that these wrongs that are real, we're not denying reality, 
but that those wrongs will be confessed and repented of, that that loved one can be forgiven, will be forgiven, and restored to righteousness, returned to relationship to God and to you. And if there's a question about a person's guilt or motivation level, always choose the most favorable possibility, considering the loved one innocent until proven guilty. That's not being naive. That's being loving. Love trusts. Love has confidence. Love believes. Love is always hopeful. ESV says, hopes all things. Even when belief in a loved one, a loved one's goodness or repentance is shattered, love still hopes. When we see no evidence of change and there's nothing really to, to, to anchor our faith, then we hope. And as long as God's grace is operative, Human failure is never final. To the parents of rebellious children, to the spouse of an unbelieving marriage partner, to, the, to a church that, that sees members walk away and deny God, we can cling to hope because God still lives. Love endures through every circumstance, endures all things. Endure, hopomino in Greek, means remain or persevere. It's a military term, and it refers to an army holding a position at all costs. It means withstanding every hardship and suffering to hold fast, to stand firm. Love holds on to those it loves. Enduring difficulties and disappointments, resistance, rejection, without releasing or surrendering. I am holding on to you. Run if you must. After love bears, it believes. After it believes, it hopes. After it hopes, it endures. And endurance does not end because love does not end verse 13 in that chapter on love three things will last forever faith you have faith on a sure object you hope that God will intervene but you still love and the greatest of these is love love won't stop loving Will you continue loving? Close your eyes. and If you find yourself in some of the places that I've described or alluded to today, or the Spirit just pointed something out, I want you to raise your hand. You're dealing with any of these issues. I want you to raise your hand. If you'd like to be prayed over, I'd like you to stand. I'm going to just pray God's blessing on you as we close. Father, we love because you loved us first, but we do not have
the strength of love that you do. Lord, you have to help us. You have to help us move to a love that's willing to sacrifice self. Because according to you, that really is the definition of love. And so for each one today, you know their situations. I pray that your spirit would fill them and help them not to quit. Help them to have faith. Give them hope. Help them endure in this situation. And I pray you, pray you would intervene in these situations to glorify yourself, not the, fulfill the goal of the, the one that's standing, but your goal for the person they're concerned about. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.